everybody, welcome to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This is Steve Weinberger, CEO of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. We are recording these sessions for the purposes of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach. Today, our educators and musicians are Frank Williams and Tyler Wortman, and today they are continuing their Basic Trombone Fundamentals series with a topic on tonguing and articulation. Participants are muted upon entry into these sessions, and we appreciate you remaining muted as a courtesy to others. But if you have a question, please feel free to use the chat feature in the toolbar or the raise your hand feature, and we will make sure that those questions get to Frank and Tyler, and we can even unmute you for a conversation in a little bit. We hope you enjoyed today's sessions, and if you've been joining us along the way, we hope you've been enjoying, enjoying these free sessions brought to you by Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. We have lots of them up and lots of incredible musicians participating. They are all listed at clearwaterjazz.com education. That's the education and outreach section. They are booked up and through the end of June with more added all the time on every instrument and every level. So we hope you continue to join us. If you have a specific topic that you would like our educators and musicians to cover, you can email that topic to info at clearwaterjazz.com, I-N-F-O, at clearwaterjazz.com. If you have feedback on any of these sessions, we'd love to hear it. Today's educators are Frank Williams and Tyler Wortman. Frank is special to our jazz holiday community. Not only is he the director of the jazz program at Ruth Eckerd Hall, which we have supported for many years, but he is also instrumental in the development and delivery of the many innovative programs Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation delivers in the community year round. Frank is an educator with over 40 years teaching experience as a band director, conductor, adjudicator, clinician, composer, and author. Although Frank is a multi-instrumentalist, his primary instrument and love is the trombone. Carl Fisher Music recently published Frank's method book called Chops, The Ultimate Guide to Building Tone Technique and Flexibility, which is available for trumpet and trombone. Tyler Wortman is also a special friend of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. He participates regularly in our Young Lions Jazz Master Sessions in the schools and also our My Journey with Jazz program in neighborhood family centers and more economically challenged areas in our community. Tyler is a jazz trombonist and graduate from FSU and USF with a study focus on jazz performance. He is a composer, performer, producer, focused on jazz and classical styles. He performs with many groups and ensembles throughout the area. We are so fortunate to have Frank and Tyler amongst our family of participating musicians and educators. Frank Williams, Tyler Wortman, welcome to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. The stage is all yours. Thanks, Steve. Hello. How you doing, Frank? Hey, man, I'm all right. We got to talk about articulation, tongue use, and that kind of thing, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All of the above. Uh, a bunch of other stuff, too. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, go ahead and get it started. I'm just going to listen and uh, chime in when I have an opportunity to add something to your uh, very intuitive uh, discussion and knowledge of uh, the uh, proper approach to articulation on the instrument. 
All right. Well, so I have a few different uh, methods when it comes to articulation. Now, one of my primary go-to methods is that the tongue needs to be responsible for um, either a letter to make the articulation. For instance, T, T, TA, could be one articulation. T, T, that's also a separate articulation. So we use T and TA beginning with the letter T to form two different articulations. So we have one letter for two articulations. Now, T, is very percussive. That would be a shorter articulation, right? Now, there's different letters we can combine with the, uh, the second um, A or E, which would be more of the air, uh, to get a more legato or more percussive articulation. Now, we spoke, and D is a, D as in dog, is a great, great letter. Uh, not only for artic or more legato articulations, but it could be used uh, for a soft single or double tongue. Yes. Yes, yes, I agree 100%. I have one more. Okay. I remember uh, most trombone players uh, at some point in their lives will uh, have to study the Rochu studies. Absolutely. Which are based on vocalese, and they are primarily slurred. Now, as trombone players, uh, we are not uh, bothered with valves. Um, our valve, uh, for the most part, is a tongue. So, whereas we share the Ds and Ts with trumpet players and French horn players and those lesser valve instruments, for trombones, to do the um, uh, slur, uh, we use a L or Lou. So if you would just say Lou, 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 and then say do, 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 you will find that the Lou is by far the softer tongue stroke. Lou, do, Lou, do. And you can feel that on your soft palate. That is going to have a big difference in the quality of the attack the front end of articulation and very, very appropriate for doing uh, what I call tongued slurs on the trombone, which is our natural method unless we're actually doing uh, lip slur, except. Of, of course, and that tongue slurred method is something I believe not a lot of beginning brass instrumentalists think about. Now they might uh, read a book or that says, this articulation is a great articulation to use but they don't understand where to use it in the horn. They just know it's a good articulation. Now, yes. you, you said loo and do. Now, yes. if everyone noticed, ooh was a part of both of those. So all we're doing is we're finding that harder or softer uh, letter to begin that vowel sound um, to get the, the chambering the way we need it to, whether it's uh, going to be staccato or legato. Now, by using that ooh, we could also use ah, we can la, da, we can use maybe even a lee if we're playing in the upper register for an extreme legato sound. Um, so all of these things can be intertwined, and it's important for the musician to practice each articulation on their own horn to understand which articulation is best for them. Uh, exactly. Not just, you know, not just, okay, ta is great. 
but where is Tog great for you? What kind of sound can you get with Tog compared to T? Where does T line up for you on the horn? Um, and all of these things can just be, you know, practice with your major scales or with one note, you know, taking your time in the morning with the metronome even. Um, every four beats, play a quarter note, match them, you know, were they the same length? So. Yep, yep. I believe in metronome practice, especially when working articulation. The tongue is very stubborn. <laughs> very, very stubborn. It needs training. It has to be worked on uh, every single day. One of the things I wanted to mention uh, as we talk uh, articulation and use of tongue is that uh, the air string. Um, I've heard people, I've had students, unfortunately, that thought it was good to spurt their articulations. If they had two half notes, they go, I'm like, ah, ah, ah. The tongue always plays a whole note, buddy. And the, or the air always plays a whole note, buddy. And the tongue simply cuts that whole note into two pieces to make half notes. So the air is always going, and the tongue just cuts it. But you want to keep the pressure from the diaphragm and the movement of the air constant so that the quality of sound, the timbre at the beginning of every note is full. You don't want to restart your air pressure for every single note you play. You want to keep that air moving and pressurized through everything you play. Now, there are some little uh, deviances in that, perhaps with slower tempo uh, staccatos. But in general, the air only plays whole notes. And the tongue is responsible for chopping those whole notes up into the rhythm. So make sure the air is already moving continually. Now, now what he means as well, guys, by the air is playing whole notes, okay, is the air is continuously moving forward even though our tongue might be dividing off the air into quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, you have it. So it's important though, um, I was taught by you and many others that the tongue needs to simply um, not block off the air when we articulate. That's not what we want to do. We want to simply just get in the way and then get out of the way as quick as possible. Um, a reference that was given to me as a child that I still remember is um, as if our air was Play-Doh and our tongue is a knife. We want the tongue to simply make an indentation in the Play-Doh. It's a little mark. We don't want to cut through the Play-Doh, right? We just want to simply give it the smallest nick and cut. And as quick as we can do that, we're ready to tongue our next note, which means articulation is going to be cleaner. Now, I recommend practicing this with, um, you can do this with four quarter notes at, um, at a medium tempo, you know, 70, 80. Wow. Try match, yeah, try to match these four quarter notes wow. with your articulation. And it's tough, man, uh, just by trying to get this one articulation to match and also work on your time, work on subdivision. Um, but your ears need to be responsible at the same time, not just your tongue. You need to hear what your your length of your articulation um, in order oh. to have you know, that greater understanding. Hey, we didn't discuss this, but uh, in my, I was just reviewing my book, Chop, just to see what I had in there for articulation. 
I wrote it several years ago, so it's not like I practice it every day, but I just kind of look at it, look at it and see what's going on. And um, yeah, the four part notes are, it's a very big part of a couple of exercises in that articulation uh, session. However, one of the things I did is I would do four quarter notes mm-hmm. and then put a whole note at the end before rest. So you actually have an eight beat phrase going on, four quarter notes and a whole note. And the reason I put the whole note at the end is so you could actually have a comparison between what the airstream feels like when playing the quarter notes and what the airstream feels like when you get that hole at the end. There should be no difference. If anything, the air needs to be more intense through the whole notes, because, sorry, through the quarter notes, because the quarter notes are having the problem of the interruption of the flow due to the tongue. And therefore, that pressure has to be maximized. So as soon as the tongue drops out of the way, we get tone. Okay, so uh, that's another um, approach to it. And again, that air moves four beats. The tongue might move, you know, quarter notes, but that air is always moving, just like you said before. Yeah. 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 So going into uh, the articulation as well, like you were mentioning, now let's say I want to work on uh, different tonguing. Okay, how would I bring in articulation into my, my tonguing practice? Hmm. You talking to me? Yeah. Oh, well, see, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, how shall I say this? I'm a multitasker. I don't think there's ever enough time to practice. Uh, when I was a, uh, a real student uh, in high school, I um, hope you're listening out there, younger people. I think maybe 10th grade, somewhere like that. I was practicing four to six hours a day. Yes, you heard me right. I said four to six hours a day. It was a job for me. I knew what I was going to be. And this practicing was simply kind of like on-the-job training. Okay, so if you want to be a player, you got to play. It's that simple. All right? Now, uh, you get bored doing the same things all the time. So um, one of the exercises I discovered later in life was uh, a book called The Remington Warm-Ups. Um, unless you're older like me, you may go, what Remington? Well, Emory Remington taught trombone at the Eastern School of Music forever. And every great trombone player from that era, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, had a connection to Eastern School of Music and Emory Remington. The finest trombone ensemble you ever hear will be that Eastern Trombone Ensemble. And great players like Jeff Pugh, Janet Robinson, uh, you name them, Bill Reichenbach, they were all in that trombone section of his students. The first exercise in his book is a measure of three beats of sixteenth notes in the quarter note. The first state. And I was always like, whoa, 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 you're supposed to start with long tone, just sustaining. And then finally my brain started working. And I went, well, you know what? The lip does not know that you're cutting that note up into 
13 pieces. It does right. not know. Why doesn't it know? Because it's just buzzing. And the air is just moving. Only the tongue is dealing with that. So one of the things I started doing is some days I would do just straight long tones to the horn, and other days I would do the Remington warm-up sequence. Now, some days I would do the entire sequence as marcados. Some days I do the entire sequence as legatos. Some days, the cows. Some days, I work on my double time. Same with the side. I would just do it. And then on days when I uh, was adventurous, or perhaps I had a hot day or something and need to get done a little quicker than what, shh, a little quicker than what I normally would do, I would alternate. One measure would be Marcado. The next measure would be legato. The next measure would be staccato. And I would go back and forth because, to be honest, that is more like what we do as players than to play an entire exercise on articulation. When we're playing music, we're playing a mixture of articulations all the time. And that particular sequence I use where every measure used a different articulation was very, very instructive to me. It was very, very efficient for me. And it got me to my date on time. Which <laughs> is all, all very important now. <laughs> all that is important. Come on. Now, you mentioned something very, very, very important that only two people really mentioned ever to me. You and the trumpet professor at Florida State, Mr. Scotty Barnhart, which you know. Um, well, you know, you know me and Scott way back, too. I know. And it's, it's just it's ironic because you, so you guys have both told me when warming up try tonguing first a lot of yeah. people approach the long tones first but uh, scotty told me um one day before we were about to hit he said hey man uh you warming up when you do some double tonguing now yeah. i looked at him like what double tonguing that you know that it, that's not right. long you know, how, how are we supposed to warm up into double tongue we say man the, like exactly like you're saying the lips don't know that's right what the doing uh, just the air's moving and the lips are buzzing so however you can warm up quicker is going to be the best method. Now, instead of doing long tones for uh, five minutes, why not do your uh, single tonguing or double tonguing practice with your long tones and warm up two things at once? Not only that, work on your time, right? Articulation, besides just holding one note forever, you could be doing multiple things and practicing those uh, just while warming up. Right. It's great, great stuff and very, very practical stuff. And it's something that, I'm sorry, your band record does not have enough time to do this. Your band record does not have 20 minutes to work on articulation. Music, he's doing this and that, he can't. It's not going to happen. It's something you've got to do. And the tongue, as I said, is lazy and uh, it does not like to be trained. And so you've got to spend a whole lot of time training that tongue so it can do exactly what you want it to do when you want it to do it without hesitation and with absolute precision. One of the things we talked about earlier, however, we have this thing that we play that causes us to change pitches, which is a slide. And it is very important that we coordinate our tongue movement with our slide movement. We are 
a lot of trombone players I have seen will have very lazy slide movement. Oh, you gotta get a glissando, no. It has to move in the blink of an eye. You have to minimize the space between notes and moving the slide very, very quickly and very efficiently. And believe me, that is even more of an issue when you're working on legatos and tongue slurs because the idea is to create a connection between those notes. And you're not going to create that connection if you have this dead time of slide movement. In order to have the connection, the slide must be very, very, very active, very, very precise, and very, very efficient in moving from place to place exactly in rhythm with the tongue. So I hope that is also helpful for you. No, and you, you said it. Um, this is something that Tom Brentley and Harold Van Skye taught me at USF is quick slides. Now, yeah, even if we're playing legato, right, uh, longer um, beat values, our slide, if anything, has to move quicker in order to connect those sounds that you're talking about. Yeah. Now, when we're playing more staccato, we have more time to actually move our slide into position. And it's important because uh, when I was practicing and playing in high school and even in undergrad, um, I was trying to get a cleaner sound, and I couldn't quite figure out how to do it. I was messing with articulation here and there. Then I realized in order to get a cleaner sound, I have to clean up the space in between my notes, <laughs> not the notes themselves. And once I started focusing on that, space, everything sort of made sense. Now, you talked about training your tongue here. Yeah, I want to go that. ahead and... <laughs> I got you, Frank? Yeah, I'm good. Hello? Okay. Yeah, let's go into, uh, into double-tonguing and triple-tonguing now. You talked about training your tongue into getting a cleaner sound. Um, what sort of methods would you approach double-tonguing with? I have to be honest with you. I was the very worst at double tonguing, triple tonguing. I had a very, very quick single tongue, uh, very, very quick, very, very efficient. And I could play almost anything at any tempo with a single tongue. But as a high school kid, there were a lot of guys who were double tonguing, triple tonguing, playing some of the Hubert Clark things, playing some of the something back in the Auburn book, characteristic studies. Um, you know, there were some things that required double tongue and triple tongue. And um, I finally ran into a fellow who, um, let's shall we say, embarrassed me at a festival by showing me in front of everybody around that his tongue was quicker than mine. And man, that got me. So I went back. I had this guy in my trombone section who played last chair trombone. I was a section leader. He was last chair nine guys down the section, right? But he could double tongue and triple tongue, man, like a little snake. Uh, okay. And I could trill with my lip. So we made a deal. I worked with him on lip slurs, and he worked with me on double and triple tongue. Hmm. One of the things I discovered is you have to say it. The more you say it, the better you are. So I would walk from class to class, 
class to class, dream glasses. And people would look at me weird, but like I was weird. I didn't care. You know, this is what I am. I'm weird. Listen, this is what I do. So if you don't like it, you know what? Go to the side of the sidewalk. I'm doing this thing. And the more I said it in casual situations, the easier it was to apply that double tongue technique once I got to the horn and started practicing. Mm -hmm. The thing that I can say, however, is that when you're doing double and triple tonguing, the lighter the tongue, the better. As a matter of fact, I had a person describe it to me this way. When the tongue is moving that fast, the air is going through very aggressive and rapid interruptions. Therefore, the air must be very, very highly pressurized or the notes can't speak because the tongue is moving so fast. He said, so the lighter the tongue, the better. As a matter of fact, when you're double and triple tonguing, you need to try to have your tongue dance on the airstream. So it is the air that drives the sound, the tongue that simply articulates, punctuates the sound, so it doesn't have to do much. It's have to sit there and dance. The lighter you can articulate on double and triple tonguing, the more efficient you will be, the better it will sound, and make sure you understand that it is all about the air. The tongue dances hmm. on the air. Now that also goes for single tonguing too, right? Oh yeah. A lot of people don't don't really you know think about how much weight they're using with their tongue. But if you could try to just lighten up your tongue, you know, you will find it easier to articulate. Not only that, you're going to be able to articulate faster, right? Not only that, your sound is going to be cleaner. So there's a lot of advantages with trying to lighten up your tongue's weight in your mouth as you're articulating. Like you're saying, dancing on the air, it's bouncing, it's being as light as possible. Yeah. I used to tell guys, tell my young students all the time, you know what, man? You're never going to be able to keep a girlfriend. What? I say, no, you never be a good kisser. Your tongue is too heavy. You got to be light and gentle. Slow, man. You're too slow. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just telling what's up, you know? So <laughs> I need to go work on that. And for a guy who's full of his hormones at 15, 16, probably like a lot of guys who are in the room with us right now, that's a really big motivator for them. So once again, Work on light, delicate tonguing that simply dances on the air. You have a lot better control, a lot faster, a lot nicer sound. Now, when triple tonguing, Frank, do you yeah. like to use ta-ta-ka, ta-ka-ta, both? How do you, how do you practice these? I, I, I try the, I call it TKT, 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 TKT. I try that. And uh, just too much mental work for me. I prefer That's my approach to it. And I don't care if that's a tajaka or tdk or a ttk, depending on where you are and how you're chambering and turn the range of the horn you're playing in. I tend to use U's in the lower middle range, A's in the middle range, and I's or E's in the upper range. So it's two down low, 
tails in the middle of the horn and teeth way up, high arched tongue in the upper register to help uh, with control the range and to have a more appropriate uh, sounding articulation uh, in those respective uh, tessitures. And so let's talk about that just uh, for a bit here. Yeah, you said ooh, ah, and e to play yes. in different registers in your horn. Yes. yes. Now that's something I know I wasn't thinking about in high school um, and the beginning of undergraduate college. Now, by switching from ah to e, what happens in your mouth, Frank, in order to to get a better, higher register? The back of the tongue rises, which means it is already set to have the chambering necessary to more effectively produce the higher frequencies on the instrument, the higher overtone series. That's the most important thing. The other thing is, if you're saying the using just the tip of the tongue, so you're also being very economical with that. If you're saying using more of a stroke like this, using more meat, and of course you're playing in the middle of the range, and that is appropriate. But when you're way up top, you want to really minimize the amount of flesh you're using and TTTT bring that tongue back and bring it up, which creates the right chambering for the production of the higher pitches and also gives you a lighter escalation because you're using so much less of the flesh itself. And it's actually striking higher in the front of the mouth as well as the back of the mouth of the tongue being raised to help with chambering. Is that too and much? You, no, you're good. And when you go lower, Ah uh, to ooh. Yeah. Explain that. If you say it. To a to a to I just get a big open of throat. The throat is more open, right? And the jaw is already open as well. So I got a better resonating chamber. I'm all about what the resonating chamber is doing, what the air is doing, the entire thing. I mean I am using my entire body to play the horn from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. I'm definitely going to use this part of the body, every bit of it. And so when I control what happened with the throat, the back of the throat, the jaw, etc., and it's just a matter of a specific syllable, I'm absolutely going to do that or a vowel sound or a consonant or whatever. Understood. And so I'd like to move on, Frank. Let's talk about slide movement. We spoke a yes. little bit about this earlier. Now, something I see a lot of younger musicians do is they might use too much elbow and have a very stiff wrist. Some of them might uh, lock their elbow completely and try to just wrist one through seven. Now, how do you go, uh, uh, you know, in approaching how to practice a fluid slide motion? Personally. I don't think anything needs to move from first to fourth position except for the wrist. This is me, first to fourth, for the most part, okay? As I move further out to fifth, the elbow gets involved. Sixth, the elbow gets more involved. Seven, I'm now getting an extension, and I can feel that extension all the way up to here. But how many notes do we play in seventh and sixth and fifth position? Not many. Majority of our playing is done between first and fourth position, and that's just a matter of the tip of the fingers and the wrist. Very, very economical for me. Um, I've had players who, uh, shall I say, I call them the, the washwoman syndrome. Of course, no one knows what a washwoman is because we don't have those anymore. But 
there was a time before we had washing machines, we had washed women and they used rub boards. I know, I know you don't want to eat it. But they would have to physically wash the clothes this way. So you got a lot of shoulder movement, et cetera, right? And a lot of people who play trombone and since they're locked in here, they got a whole lot of shoulder and, and, and arm and elbow movement. So what I would do for that student is force them to take their elbow and lock it into their side. Just put it right into the ribs. Now play. Okay, you got no choice now. You have to use that wrist to extend the slide from first to fourth because you don't have the benefit of all this stuff uh, free to move. And that is how I break that very, very bad habit. And then we just relax a little bit for fifth, a little bit more for sixth, a little bit more for seventh. Is that what you're looking for? That's wonderful. Wonderful. Because by eliminating, we're not eliminating, but if we could just, um, you know, not have so much movement going on, Again, just like having a lighter tongue, we can actually play faster, get to our slide or our positions quicker, right? Yeah. Because there's less going on. We're not throwing our slide around. It's all very precise. Yeah, yeah. And when we get into some of the more advanced techniques in a later session, you know, for alternate positions and things like that, you find the greater players, especially greater jazz players, right? Man, the entire thing is right here. So it's almost like the horn is kind of hard to move. It's like watching bird play out so sax. You hear all this music flying off that horn, and you look at his hands, and it looks like his hands aren't moving at all. That's because he is very economical with his movement. And we can take that same concept that Bird applied to the actual sax and apply that to the trombone as well, because it's still the same physics. Makes sense? Absolutely. It's all about coordination with the slide movement. Um, mm -hmm needs to be precise and again muscle memory is key now uh, this is uh, suited for beginners so i will give you guys a couple tips that i did uh, when practicing make sure you have a tuner on your stand when you are playing and please spot check yourself so if you think you are um Let's see, your B-flat is correct, right in first position. Test yourself. Can you match that B-flat in fifth position with the same articulation, right? Same everything. But can you, again, use your ears to, to find that match? And by doing that, I guarantee you the slide is going to help uh, yourself in order um, to find where those thirds are, right? If we're playing a triad, thirds need to be 12 cents flat, fifths need to be two cents sharp. We want to hear those things. We don't want to necessarily think, okay, am I on the third? I need to be a little out here. And again, this is, might be going more advanced, but just coordination is key. Yeah. I, I always say sing. We've been singing all our lives. As kids, we were taught to sing. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. We were taught to sing. So, you know what? Sing. Sing hmm. exercises you play. Learn to match pitch with your voice on the horn. Because at some point, you might want to do multiphonics, which is another technique way down the road we'll discuss in another later session. And you have to be able to sing through that one. You know, uh, the great Wycliffe Gordon has a book on uh, improvisation. And uh, I think the title of the book is Sing It First. Sing mm -hmm. It First. So I cannot overestimate the importance of singing especially 
for the younger players in middle school, high school, you know, guys hate to sing at that age because the voice is changing and this and that. You know, you know what? Help yourself out a little bit. Force the issue. Sure. Make yourself sing. The voice will adjust quicker if you do. Okay? You can't run from it. It is what it is. We all go through it. Make it happen. That's it. Now, you said sing. Right, you talked earlier about when you worked on your triple tonguing. You were also kind of walking around singing or, you know, saying verbally these articulations. Now, right. did that, that help you when you went to go play the articulations, do you think? Oh, God, yes. That's where it all started. I mean, you know, I obviously because of the advanced law, I'm home and whatnot, uh, I don't play. Um, as I did 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago when I played all the time. But still, uh, this comes from what I did in high school. Here's my uh, simple double tongue speed, even now, after not playing the horn for almost 10 years. Okay, pretty quick, right? Yeah, oh, light tongue. And that comes from uh, walking around, saying it as it went from class to class back in high school, and that's like... Uh, a few years ago, okay, maybe decades, all right. So yeah, it 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 it, it uh, it's a very important thing to do if you're really going to be efficient with this. How are we doing with questions? Any questions from anybody? Seems to me we're getting pretty close to the bewitching hour. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting close. We got maybe a couple minutes left. Tyler, do you see anything there in the chat? So, uh, yeah, I see one question from Jack Timmons, who's here, Frank. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, he was saying, um, so how about Takata as well as Kataka was his question. I have heard of the Takata. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yes. so TKT and KTK is what he said. Or how about those? I would frown on the KTK. That I would frown on. Okay, why? K is an air attack. It only the T is a real tongue stroke. Okay, let's understand that. If you say TK, 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 the T is forward with the tongue, the K is backward. It's just an air stroke. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's very efficient or very um, uh, sensible to start out with the stroke, and if you do a triple tugging, to have two of the three to be uh, tongue uh, air strokes. Okay, so that would be my uh, opinion of that. Uh, if one uh, wants to use uh, TKT, TKT, or whatever combination of T's and K's you want in that situation, uh, in terms of vowels, that's great. Uh, my preference has always been. A TTK always has been. It's just what works for me, uh, and what works for you is what works for you. And since Jack is in the room and Jack has opened his face, one of the things I like to tell guys is um, do goo. Hmm. That's what I use for double tonguing when playing jazz. Rather hmm. use a T, a T or or a K, I use D G. We go do 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 It's the same type of thing. It's just a little bit smoother attack. It's not quite as percussive. There were only things that I discussed uh, with Tally in preparation for this. 
is that originally double tonguing and triple coming, triple tonguing were all called double staccato and triple staccato. These were intended for short, light articulation, short, light articulation. We went to double tongue and triple tongue, which really only addresses half the original meaning. The dugu forces you to play a double tongue that is not a double staccato because you get a longer, more connected note that is more suitable for jazz. So that is my recommendation in that situation. Any more questions? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna unmute Jack for a second just so you can say a shout out to Jack. I don't have to make him type every everything. How you doing, Jack? Yeah. Yeah. Jack, did we cover everything you wanted, Jack? Yeah, we got most of it. I was just gonna say, like, when I was thinking of the Tagada Kataka, it was thinking more of like in like sort of a Hiniola sort of uh, kind of situation. Usually when I'm doing like triplets, multiple triplets, I'll just do But I mean like because I know like sometimes, yeah, sometimes it feels like um, players will actually end up playing Tagada Kataka. Yeah. And, and can I say something about the about the tarika, tarika, tarika? Be very careful. It is uh, how should I say this? It is very easy when working on triple tongue if you're not careful to end up uh, sounding more like you're doing two sixteenths and an eighth note than a real triplet where all those things are even. Mm -hmm. So when you're working on the triple staccato or the triple tongue, slow it down to make sure that they're all even because the tendency is that you get a two sixteenth eighth note sound rather than a true triplet sound. Yeah. That is probably one of the reasons that I frowned upon uh, the TK. It is so easy to make the K that you can uh, very easily fall into the trap of rushing the first two and then dragging the second one and once again having what is in effect a uh, rhythmic error. Okay, so might want to take a look at that. I always found that to be uh, kind of mm -hmm. pesky. <laughs> One question related to that, though. How do you feel about, like, I know what I sometimes do is I like to isolate kind of the does syllable. So I'll just be playing, like, for example, um, I'll do four um, quarter notes with the ta and then uh, other ones with the go. So it's like... <laughs> And I do like uh, Clark studies. All right, so when well, you spend some time isolating the, the car, the K yeah. syllable. Uh, yes, sir, absolutely. Because one of the problems we have there is that that is truly an air attack. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, if you're not driving the air, you'll get a sound that goes duck, 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 rather. You have to really drive that air to get the K. So, yes, I too have just worked on the K in order to make sure that the strength of the sound of the K matched the strength of the sound of the T. Mm -hmm. So you're on the right track, no doubt about it. Yeah, I've been doing that for the past few months. I hate to say that, by the way, but I don't like you very much anyway. Just kidding. <laughs> you're a great guy, man, a great player too. Thanks. Yeah. All right, so Tyler, we're, we're getting down to the final few minutes. Um, is, is there anything that uh, you'd like to conclude with, you and Frank both? And I, I see you have your trombone with you, Tyler. If there's any, 
I don't know if there's any exercise or something you wanted to leave some some people with that helped to illustrate some of the things. That's welcome too. Um, so I'll let you give some closing comments, and then I'm, I have some brief uh, housekeeping remarks to close this out. Sure. Well, definitely, Frank gave the best example uh, today. So four quarter notes and a whole note. Now, yes. despite practicing these two measures in four four time, you can solidify so much with your articulation um, and tonguing. Now, so that exercise is, would sound like this on a concert F, but I'll use the ta articulation, right? Mm -hmm. tried no vibrato, right, just a steady airstream in order, like you were saying, to feel what the air is doing on the articulated measure compared to what it's doing on the whole note measure. And it should be doing the exact same thing. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I do, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do something very cheap. It's, this is my trumpet book. I can hardly ever keep the trombone book around because they go so fast. But this is the trumpet book, and it has the same content except for uh, uh, some slide stuff in terms of alternate positions and some valve stuff for trumpet, but pretty much same articulation exercises, etc. So I double check, and that is in the other four quarters, whatever. There's also a section called progressive articulation. And what that is, is I'll start with quarter notes, quarter note, quarter note, quarter note, Quarter note, then I do a measure of eighth notes. Eighth note, eighth note, eighth note, eighth note. Then I would do two beats of triplets and two beats of sixteenths into a sustain. I always end with a sustain just to double check that that air is always moving appropriately. So you go note, 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 to do the rhythmic modulation without distorting the time and without contorting the rhythm and then ending with a half note at the end to ensure that the air had been driving through the entire sequence. And what you get is about a 14 count tone with that full mm -hmm. exercise. So it's definitely easy to do on just one breath if you have reasonable uh, breath control. That's my last recommendation for you in terms of a exercise to work on your articulation well thank That'd you both. thank you both so much frank and tyler uh, it's always a pleasure to have you with us you're going to be back with us on may the 28th for the last of the first three basic series um and so we're going to look forward to that session and i know you've got some other things in the works plan which is going to be really great um for those of you that have been following along and or those of you that are new to this if you go to clearwaterjazz.com education i just put out the link in the um the chat section you can see all of these upcoming sessions what's pretty cool is you can also see some session recaps that we put out there Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you will see these recaps as they are posted. So if you missed a session, you'll get a little summary of what was covered. And there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Uh, we just had a wonderful session with Dr. Pete Carney at the, from the State College of Florida in Bradenton. 
who uh, gave some really, really cool improvisation techniques. And then we have um, some wonderful things coming next week. We have Mark Feynman joining us on drums. The topic is the quarter note system, a rhythmic guide to creativity. And John O'Leary is going to be doing a piano topic, an approach to jazz harmony on piano on June 1st. Alejandro Arenas is back with his bass sounds series on June 2nd. And then James Suggs is back with us on June 3rd, improving your technique. If you're a trumpet player, you definitely want to be in that one. So there's a lot of good stuff happening. Please stay in touch with Clearwater Jazz Holiday. Thank you to all of our sponsors of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, including the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association, our friends at the Pinellas Realtor Organization, Central Pasco Association of Realtors, and others who support this mission. All of these sessions are free. They are all designed for you. So stay tuned, be safe, and thank you, Frank and Tyler. We'll see you next time. All right, all right, Tyler. Take it easy, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yep. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.